Welcome to Ibithology, a new podcast celebrating the culture and history of the island of Ibiza. I'm Bill Beecham, an Ibiza-based journalist, and in each podcast I'll interview Ibithans who are contributing in some way to the life and culture of this diverse island. Martin Davis is well known in Ibiza as the owner and publisher of Barbary Press. He's fascinated by the island's history, life and architecture, and this is reflected in the books he's published. These range from historical accounts of rural life here in the early 20th century to books of historical photos and even an illustrated children's story based on the island. You'll hear Martin talk about why he came to Ibiza, which he describes as being kidnapped. He'll also tell us about the publishing process and what's in the pipeline at Barbary Press. Since the interview was recorded, Martin tells me publication of his latest book has been put back to May or June. Join us now at his apartment in Ibiza town. Martin, I'm really delighted to have you as my first uh, victim on this new podcast. Well, I think the honour's mine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's great because Mark Martin has been on the island for a long time. He's very well known in, in artistic circles and beyond that as well in the island. And I, I just wondered if you could start off by telling me what kind of projects you're working on at the moment. Okay, well, normally, of course, writers don't like to talk about their projects, or, for that matter, editors, because uh, (laughs) they might not happen. But uh, I think I'm pretty close to the finishing line of this one. Um, It's a book called Voyage and Discovery by Conor O'Brien. He was a famous Irish sailor who who went around the world in the early 1920s, the first um, person to fly the Irish flag, in fact, in many ports. And he married shortly after that. His wife was not a sailor, and so he was wedded to the sea, as it were. Uh, so they had to compromise. Instead of going off to South America or the Pacific, um, she agreed to come to the Mediterranean. And, of course, they ended up in Ibiza. <laughs> ah, OK. That was 1932 they arrived here, yeah. And what, what's the, um, what, what, what made you chance upon this author and this book and decide to go for this one? Good question. The book itself was, had been published in 1933. Then it was... It had, was well-received, had very nice reviews, and then it kind of disappeared, as many very good books do, <laughs> for no good reason. So many. I think the war may have helped um, to, to kind of uh, uh, seal its fate, because I believe many of its stocks were destroyed in, in the Great Fire of London during the, the bombing. Um, and one other thing, I think, which helped marginalise the book is the fact that it's got a lot of nautical language in the first chapters, which I've moved to the back as an appendix. So, you know, anyone who wants to read about how we got to Ibiza, they will find that. But the, the book in, in its new version starts with Ibiza, which is, it somehow seems appropriate. He seems to just take to the island, and it's, um, it's uh, a wonderful read, and beautiful illustrations by his wife, very talented painter. Okay, um, and d- d- does he settle in one part of the island? Does he stay for? Uh, well, you could say that he settled in the in the Club Nautico, the the, the uh, yacht club, okay. 
Um, and he made forays from there. Often in his boat, he went to Calavadalia, which he call he spells with a B, and uh, explores around the island, um, gets to very remote places thanks to his boat, and uh, does a couple of excursions to to Mallorca and uh, North Africa, which is interesting. But he's, the, the focus of the book is definitely Ibiza. He was there for a whole year. They were there for a whole year. And uh, there's a couple of extra texts in this version, including a wonderful description of a, a famous naval battle um, between a, corsair, a local corsair and an, a British um, kind of pirate uh, who was offshore in Ibiza in the early 19th century. And it's a very spirited and... Uh, detailed evocation of, of this famous event. We have a special monument in Ibiza to the Corsairs and that's what prompted him to, to investigate this. How do you go around about um, issues like copyright when you're reproducing someone's Well, text? a very good question. Um, it took me <laughs> about three or four years to actually find the family. Uh, of He didn't have any direct descendants but he has great uh, two great nieces in, in Ireland and um, Eventually, I tracked them down, and they've been fantastic. I mean, I couldn't have asked for, for more cooperative people. They've uh, released, the, they've made available the original drawings, which they had, and they've been so patient. I'm a very slow editor, and they've been waiting for six years for me to get all my I's dotted and T's crossed, but eventually it's, it's going to happen. I think April, we'll, April. we're looking at, yeah. Great. Well, look April forward 2018. Yes. Mm. I really look, look forward to, to that next one. Um, now, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to take you right back. Mm. And um, so a lot of people know about you in the here and now, but not, not many people probably know about that much about your history. So could we just go back to the beginnings? Could, could you tell me where you were born and, and raised and your, the early part of your life? OK, uh, I was born in Liverpool, uh, the city of the Beatles <laughs> and football. Um, left there when I was six and lived in various far-flung corners of the planet, uh, Fiji, Guyana, Argentina... Canada before coming back to England for, for schooling and stuff. Was that uh, your, your family in the services? No, people often think that, but the, my father was an engineer okay. and uh, worked on various projects such as uh, uh, water supplies and sea walls and stuff like that, bridges. Well, um, and then I lived in England for between schooling and, and my first jobs for, for about 20 years and then I, I came to Ibiza. Okay. Mm. Um, what brought you to Ibiza? I was kidnapped. <laughs> just like just like one of those Barbary pirates they came to England and um, spirited me off <laughs> this was a local hairdresser uh, Tony and um, he said oh you've got to come and see Ibiza it's a wonderful place so I came for a couple of holidays and then it was either a question of me me moving here or him moving to London and he had a very successful business here so it was really no contest. Yeah. Okay. What, what year did you move here? 93, yeah. Okay. And then um, those early years when you first arrived, what, what were you up to on the island? Uh, basically nothing. It was great. I didn't have a job. <laughs> I couldn't really speak Spanish. I was, I was teaching myself Spanish the first couple of years. And I had been a librarian working in the, in the V&A in, in London. And I obviously couldn't work in a, in a library here with no Spanish. So I had all this time, time to myself. It was paradise. And I used to go around walking everywhere with my camera. My previous boyfriend had given me a, a wonderful camera. And so I was basically learning how to use that. 
after a couple of disasters, like opening the back and letting exposing all the film. <laughs> but um, I took hundreds, no, thousands and thousands of photos of the houses because I architecture has always been a, a passion, and that, that the old traditional houses here are quite extraordinary. So, so you you walked right around the island, did you? Yeah, I, every week, every day, practically, I'd go off for these long walks. Initially, I would get to places with my bicycle, then I bought a mob mobilette, a little scooter, and eventually I had a car. So, um, and I carried on doing that for about six or seven years, really, even when I started working as an English teacher. Yeah, because eventually, you know, I had to go and get a job. <laughs> I couldn't carry on like that forever. Unfortunately, yes. Yes, my cake making suffered though. I, I didn't make any more cakes once I started <laughs> working. <laughs> so, so then, so English teaching was the next, was the first obvious yes. step, was it? Yes, I mean, a, a lot of people fall into that or grow into it. Um, and uh, I, I always thought I'd be a terrible teacher because I'm not really a very patient person and um, I, I speak very fast, which uh, is bad for an English teacher. But I did the course, and I, I found I quite liked it, and um, a very good course in, in Madrid, in the International House. And then I got a job in the local school here, Britannia, lovely team, fantastic team in fact, you know, really brilliant teachers, and um, learnt a lot of Spanish, that's really put the seal on my Spanish, I think, having to teach English, because you'd, know, you'd have to know what the words were. And um, although you're supposed to only talk English, it doesn't happen in practice. <laughs> Especially the big class of unruly kids. Yes, and yeah. you still you carried that on throughout the. Yeah, I worked. If uh, I worked at this language school for about eight years, and then when I started publishing books, um, eventually I decided I would give that up and I'd do privates at home. And I've I've done that ever since. Yeah. Okay. Because it's a lot more easier for for my, a lot easier for my timetable. Mm. Sure. Mm. Can you tell us about what inspired you to go into publishing? Yeah, well, I never thought I'd be a publisher. Well, I wanted to work in, I've always wanted to work in a publishing house, but I never imagined I'd have my own publishing, small publishing house. Um, what happened was I met a, a Frenchman called Philippe Deville, who had already po published a number of posters of old Ibiza, very nice old pictures. And he was looking for some more pictures, basically, to do a second series of posters. So we met up. I had been working on an a book about Ibiza's architecture, and I, as I was interested in the old photos of houses, how they had been many years ago, I had quite a good collection of books and stuff. So um, we talked, and we I'd also been thinking about doing a book of kind of old photos. So we discovered we had this idea at the back of our minds in common. We, we did a book together called Ibiza, 100 Years of Light and Shade. That was in 2000. Okay. And, and that, did that lead into Barbary, or was that pre-Barbary? Yeah. I mean, the thing was, it, the book was wildly successful. I mean, we didn't imagine... Well, we, we thought it was quite a nice book. I mean, the photos were by brilliant photographers, so we couldn't really lose. We'd gone to a lot of work getting the original prints, you know, getting permission from everybody, finding all sorts of wonderful stuff along the way of doing that. And uh, I, because I'm interested in texts, uh, especially travel books, I had sort of woven in these lovely old texts about uh, old Ibiza, with, uh, along with some biographies of, of each photographer. So the book was actually quite a nice, solid package in a way. You, you get these lovely pictures, a little bit of reading, not too much, and it made a great present. I mean, it's even been given to the Pope <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by, I can't remember, the, 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 pre the present of the, the Conseil. So it's now in its, whatever, third edition, and, and it still sells. So after this, it led to other things. People came up to me with their 
with other photos, with so that there was another book came came along, and then more books kind of like the one I just mentioned, Voyage and Discovery, surfaced, so I ended up publishing travel books as well. Three, yeah. At what stage did you come up with the, the name Barbary, and what was the reason behind Okay, that? well, when, I, when Philippe and I published this first book, it was under the Ediciones El Faro, the, the Lighthouse editions, um, and that was really Philippe's uh, name. Now, when I did the second book, that was on my own, so I had to find uh, my own name, and... Um, I thought of calling it the Barbary Fig Press because, um, you know, emblematic plant. You, when, when you come to Ibiza, you see these prickly pear cactuses everywhere. And I wanted a BP alliteration. Mm -hmm. So Barbary kind of went with press, more or less. And my sister-in-law, Lizzie, who works with books for the BBC and, and uh, private production companies, she's very clever, she lives in Froome, where you're from. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Froome Connection. Yes, the Froome Connection. Froome Cultural Connection. Froome is a great place for books as well. Thousands, millions of books have been printed in Froome very beautifully. Um, she said, why don't you just call it Barbie Press? <laughs> Light bulb moment. Yes, actually. <laughs> I mean, every editor, it's the golden thing, just get rid of words. Yeah. <laughs> Tighten it up. <laughs> and then you've got, a, you've got this ship emblem. Yes. What inspired that? Actually, a wonderful map by a... Croatian, a genius, a very clever Croatian who was here in the 30s and he did a very beautiful map of Ibiza and with various cartouches and little uh, drawings of peasants and things and in the corner was, was uh, an old Ibithenko um, Shebek, this is Shebeke, this is a kind of uh, corsair vessel so because Barbary evokes pirates I thought oh, I'll stick in a nice old sailing ship because people love old sailing ships too. And it's, I think it goes well, doesn't it? It's, 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 a, nice a, lo it's, it's a lovely emblem. I mean, I redrew it, so I simplified it a little bit. Yeah, okay. it's basic. Funny enough, I'm not the only person to use that ship. I'm, I noticed it in a hotel called the El Jabeque, or something about... Um, it's in, in Figueretas. So other people have spotted it and used it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not the only one. I don't, I don't know if they... I don't think they copied my, my logo. I certainly didn't copy their hotel. But uh, great minds think alike. <laughs> Take it as a compliment. Mm, yes. Um, and then I wondered if you could just talk a bit about the publishing process itself. I mean, how, how do you get the idea for a, for a book? I mean, um, what, what is it that inspires you to publish a particular text? Well, I often compare it to having a child. Right. Because people who have children, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there, didn't necessarily plan it. <laughs> it just happens. True, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, something, uh, a book kind of almost chooses you uh, in a way. You fall in love with it. You, 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 you see a book and you think, oh, goodness me, it would be lovely to have this in, in English. I mean, the, 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 after the photo books, the next one was, was a travel book by a Norwegian writer um, who was in Ibiza in the 1930s. Can you imagine? Just, just so, so remote in a very remote part of the island as well. I couldn't read a word of it. Um, luckily, I had a Swedish friend who, who couldn't read it and who reported back that it was amazing and that I should publish it. So then he did a, a, a first version, um, uh, Bjorn and Lindholm, very wonderful, talented uh, collaborator and uh, didn't really charge me any money for it. I mean, I, I think uh, I may have got a few books or something. I can't remember what I paid him in the end. But he's been a, a wonderful, a wonderful collaborator for Barbie Press in the early stages. We we did another book together as well about Dutch 
Dutch um, writers and painters here, because um, he speaks Dutch. And so, uh, you know, uh, that was the first, you might say, textbook I did, yes. The Road to San Vicente. So it comes, the, the books come from your your library or your, your gathering process yeah. on, on Ibiza text. My trawling, I call it. Trawling. I trawl, I do these deep sea trawls and yes. something kind of, once a strange fish yes. comes into my net. Where, where do you get all these texts from? As I say, I, I trawl the bottom of the sea, the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the the, um, the 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 Norwegian book was happened because I went with a friend. I was actually looking for an old where an old farmhouse was, which was in my first photo book. And uh, one of my pupils who who lived in that part of the island said he'd discovered the farmhouse. So we went, and on the way back, we stopped in the Fonda to have a have a, a glass of wine, and. Uh, the, the owner said, oh, of course, there's, there's Leif's book. And I said, what? He said, yes, you know, the book that Leif wrote about San Vicente. So I said, well, can you show it to me? And so, that, so it happened. So this sort of serendipity. You're chasing one fish and another one lands, lands in your net, basically. That's okay. what happened. And I think that happens to all investigators. You, you think you're going for a small, you know, Leonardo drawing, and then the Mona Lisa or another <laughs> suddenly appears. So... Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe we could just um, go through the books one by one. Okay. Yeah. So the fir- the first one we're looking at. The, the two photo books came first. Okay. Yeah. yeah the big one, hundred years of light and shade, mm-hmm. and then an even bigger one called Island Out of Time. Okay. With a woman kind of spinning on the front cover. Yeah. Right. Spinning, traditional way. And the second, the second one was under the Barbary. Yes, that was the first book to be published by Barbary Press, as opposed to the um, El Faro Ediciones El Faro. And that was, that was a, a big undertaking because the first book took a year. The second one took really five or six years because I, I travelled all around Europe uh, visiting archives and, and individual photographers or their, their children and, um, and negotiating and, and uh, choosing photographs and then writing, kind of getting the texts for them. The, the ph- writing had, had, I can't remember, many more photographers, about 50 photographers or even, or even more, 70 so um, right, researching them was more work as well. Yeah, I mean these these books have got the the, the images really bring the although a lot of them black and white they mm. kind of bring the the islands the whiteness of the of the buildings really really stands out yes. to me. The architecture. Yes, I mean of course it, back then they were whitewashed these buildings so there's a subtle variation on the surface which the eye you know subconsciously or consciously takes in. And, and that's really what made these buildings so uh, gorgeous and, and impressive for visiting architects and painters. Uh, they just fell under the spell of this bewitching architecture. Uh, uh, and when you, when you find an old house, which hasn't been, shall we say, over-refurbished, which has something of its, this original magic, it's, it's quite a few in your neck of the woods, of course, in San Vicente and San Juan. It's... Uh, you fall in love all over again. The houses, there's just something about them. And then you walk inside and there's this wonderful calm and feeling of uh, proportion and spaciousness. That, and in summer, they're just like the, the best places to, 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 to shelter from the, from the heat. It's much better than their conditioning. You go into one of the little Casa de Bash, one of the lower bedrooms, and it's a perfect temperature all year round. They look sort of organic, as if they've, they've grown out of the ground almost, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. And... Uh, with their, the corrales, which are not whitewashed, surrounding them with, with the dry stone walls, that they, this is kind of stage by stage. You get the walls, then you get the, the corrales, the animal pens, 
and then the house kind of you know echoing those lines comes above that so it's a it's a very organic type of farmhouse um, and uh, the, even the, the gentle slope to the what appears to be a, a, a vertical wall is actually gently sloping as um, kind of curving inwards like like a Greek column so that's there's a subtlety to the houses which um, many architects have commented on, especially people like Rolf Blagstad, who who is the great uh, was the great um, investigator. I should mention him. He was really my tutor and my my teacher in in the matter of architecture. Yes. I was with him for well as he, uh, I first of all I I keyed in his book, did a bit of editing of it, and then um, he asked me to catalogue his library. So I really learnt a lot from him. Yeah, he's very well known. Yes, he, he was. He and Philippe Rotier are the two. The French architect um, and and researcher are the two foreigners who have um, done most. You might say to popularize the idea of the traditional Ibithenko house. There are a number of locals as well who have done wonderful work, like Tony Manonelias and Tony Ferrer Barthuza and Juanjo Serra Rodriguez, who, who restored the, the watermill in Santo Lalia, and um, then the other figures like Palermet, um, a wonderful man in, in, um, in, in the west of the island who, who, who is keeping all the traditions alive, and they've written ex extensively on, on um, the architecture and the traditions of Ibiza. Yeah, we, we have... Uh, English listeners to this podcast may not realise how rich and... and um, kind of thriving is the is the local scene unfortunately in Catalan so this is a bit of an obstacle for many readers um, hopefully one day more of their works will be available in English or you'll learn Catalan perhaps <laughs> but there's a there's this like two two kind of or three if you include the German literature there's many different literatures about Ibiza and the longer you live here the more you get to appreciate these invisible uh, worlds side by side yes hmm. This is why we rely on people like you to translate. And Emily, too. Yes. Emily Kaufman's done a lot of work, you know, for, with the archaeology and history, mm. bringing that sort of, the, the local historian's kind of investigations to an English-speaking audience, or German-speaking. Her books are also in German. Can we move on to the next book? Yeah. So we're talking about Birds of Ibiza now. Well, this, well that actually jumped the queue, because it should have been The Road to San Vicente, the, the book about, um, by the Norwegian writer. But my dear friend Sarah Nechamkin, who's a... Passed away uh, last uh, August um, at the age of 99, a very talented British painter of Russian extraction, had um, been painting the birds of Ibiza for many years. And we, because I was a friend of hers, she asked me to help her organize a calendar, perhaps with the help of the Conseil Insular, the, the local island council. And they, they kind of rejected it. <laughs> and so I thought, great, well, we'll do a book then, which is much better than the calendar the book lasts you know much longer and then you can get some more words in it so that's what we did I asked Sarah to write something for each bird and I kind of you know added a little bit myself and um, we did this book which is again has, is, has been through two editions and people seem to like it it's not yeah. just about the birds is it the pictures evoke Ibiza absolutely very few painters bought, tried to paint Ibiza's landscape I don't know why is it too difficult? It's it's so beautiful, Ibiza. The hills, the fields, the, the sea, the the woods, the flowers. There's, there's so many different landscapes here. And um, 
I, I, you know, we, Ibiza is quite famous as an, an island of painters, but to get good landscapes here, there's a lot of kind of townscapes of Dalvila. They do, they did a lot of, in the old days, they painted the peasants, of course, the, the farm workers, um, but the landscapes, there aren't a lot of, so this is why, uh, doubly, I, I like this book, because it does capture the landscapes of Ibiza. And the, and the colours as well, the, the, yeah. the sunsets. Yeah, she, she, every, I mean, I can't remember how many birds there are, about 30 birds, and, and each one, she has a completely different landscape. So you really get a sense of the diversity of the island. She, she was the most extraordinary woman, Sarah Nechamkin. She knew all the great painters in London in the 30s, uh, Graham Sutherland and, and Henry Moore, uh, to name just two. She, she was really in, in touch with all these wonderful people, and the photographer, uh, Edwin Smith, was a close friend. She, uh, all these, uh, the publishers, the Cohen Press, people she knew very well. And uh, in a way, she was the last member of that generation in touch with this great renaissance and flourishing of British graphic art in the mid-20th century. And we were very privileged to have her here on the island. She did a lot of wonderful work here. Uh, also an illustrator. She illustrated about, I don't know, about 15 books. as well, And she painted a vast number of paintings. Yeah. Yeah, I just had one of them framed by my brother in Froome. Yeah. I'm very pleased with it. I'll show you later. Yeah, be great. Thank you. Mm. Great. And then the next book, now we're on to the road to San Vicente. Yes. So you, you mentioned it earlier. Briefly. Yes. Could you just describe um, a little bit? Well, how I've that already. Book came about? Yeah, I've, well, I've mentioned how I found it and how it was translated. Um, at the end of the book, there's a section of about seven texts by other writers who were in San Vicente at various stages of the 20th century, like Walter Benjamin and uh, Norman Lewis, and a local writer, Enrique Fajarnes. Uh, Emily did a lovely history, and uh, Paul Richardson, a very talented travel writer, written, uh, who's done a lot of work on Spain, he did a wonderful essay about restoring a house. I just love, which is the epilogue. I mean, he's such a, a good writer, Paul. So um, it was great to, to bring these all together um, at the back to show that uh, San Vicente had something magical. I mean, you you live there. Would you agree? I, do. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I must thank you for publishing that book because every time I drive mm. from San Juan mm. and I get to the top of the hill, yes, and I look down and I see that view. Yeah, it come, that book comes back to me. In fact, there's a, a passage, a paragraph yes. that I'd like to read out if I yeah. can. Yeah, I love that bit as well. I, yeah, I think the same thing. Whenever I I get, I come over the saddle and, and into that, and the whole valley spread out before you. I climbed as fast as I could, impatient for the view I was hoping to see at the saddle, and fearing might no longer be there. Soaked in sweat and with my heart ready to burst, I approached a little clearing I remembered, came to a stop, and screwed up my eyes against the dazzling light. Below me, with its toes, so to speak, in a sea dashed into minute sparks by the sun, the countryside opened its broad, undulating form. On one side, the sharp profile of Atalia pointed straight to the heavens, like the raised ears of a vigilant Phoenician hound lying next to its mistress. Down nearer the coast, where the cultivated land formed a lighter, flowery apron against the shaggy green skirts of the woods, the church rose up on its knoll, like a hymn book on a bedspread. So beautiful. It's He's got a lovely, lovely lyrical touch, Leif, yes. yeah, when he... But it's poetic. Yeah, very poetic, yeah. He was a good travel writer. He'd done a book about Brazil, and I'd, two books about Brazil and Argentina before he, he turned, you know, he returned to Ibiza thinking, OK, I've got this amazing uh, story. You know, I was here in this wild part 
uh, with Paul Gauguin, the, the grandson of the, the famous painter. So, you know, I better put this down in for posterity, and thank goodness he did. Yeah, so, so many wonderful little vignettes of deep Ibithenko life, which I mean, I've never experienced, only someone who was in San Vicente in the 1930s. Not even the people who were here in the town, or San Antonio back then, saw anything like that. The, all these kind of original customs, you know. Walter Benjamin, sorry Walter, you didn't come close to Leif Borsen <laughs> for authentic uh, ibithenkismo. <laughs> yeah. well, which could bring us to, to the next book, um, A Valley Wide. Yes. Tell us about that book. Um, now, that, again, that was trawling, I guess. Uh, I, I'd heard of this figure called Jack Beeching, who was a poet, uh, extraordinary writer, who sort of slipped through the net of posterity. And um, I, I knew he was in Ibiza in the 60s and 50s, but I didn't really know a lot else. Then I heard his poems had been published in Palma, so I wrote and obtained a copy. And his widow, Charlotte Mensforth, who was married three times, um, wrote back and mentioned that, um, I think she mentioned that his second wife I should get in touch with because she might have some writing or something. Or his, no, his children. I should get in touch with his children. So I got in touch with John, who also lives in Froome. <laughs> um, John, John Beeching. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, he passed on his mother's, mother's telephone number. She, lives, she was living in, in Perth. And so I contacted her and she told me she had a, a book, a manuscript, which had never been published about San Vicente in the 60s. So I asked her to send me a, a chapter. I read it. I, I, I was just floored. It was so beautiful. I thought, wow, <laughs> I want to read the rest. I want to publish this, no question. So, so she sent me the whole lot and uh, we published it a few years later. Again, it was a very slow thing because it was edited a little bit. Um, well, quite, I had some very good helpers. I had the most extraordinary editor called Holly Ely. Uh, she was one of the best editors in, in London. She'd done a lot of work with, with famous authors. She died about four or five years ago. So, uh, sadly, very quite young. And she, because she was living in San Vicente too, uh, she offered to do an edit for free. And she did a wonderful edit. Really, really, she just tightened it up, gave it that little bit, that extra kind of gloss. So that was great. We had her, and I did a, a quite a bit myself. So um, uh, the result of this, this wonderful book. And it tells yeah. the story of a family who moved from Formentura to San Vicente yeah. um, in the 60s, before the road was built. Yeah, and they were early there, 60s, yeah. And they were there whilst mm. the road was built too. Exactly. Mm. We should perhaps tell listeners that this is in the far northeast of the island and it's mm. a very, it was a very remote valley. Mm. It had no road transport, able road going through it at all no. until the mid-60s. No, I mean, Rolf Blackstad said it was, who was there in 58, said it was like Tibet. <laughs> which is a wonderful comparison when you think of it. Uh, a place which, which had this, I mean, Tibet is the, is, uh, the this sort of touchstone for remoteness and, uh, and people who went there got this feeling, had this feeling of returning back through hundreds if not thousands of years to a, a society where people did things in a very traditional way. And uh, it's true, many of the ancestral ways of, you know, growing, growing crops and... Uh, grinding corn and, and doing all these traditional things uh, do reach far back into time. It's, a, it's a, a moot point how far back. Uh, for example, the dance, the Bithenko dance, 
many, many foreigners think is incredibly old. It's thousands and thousands of years old. Other local investigators think it's something which may have grown perhaps in the Middle Ages or, you know, uh, evolved from that time. So we don't really know because there's no written documentation. Um, but there are, there are pointers, shall we say. Yeah, and one of those investigators, he's written a book, which will be coming out quite soon, Tony Manonelius, about the Ipithenko dance and music. Okay. So perhaps he, I, he will tell us things about this great mystery. I mean, there are so many mysteries in Ibiza, I think. This is why we, partly why we like it, like Egypt. <laughs> well, with, with a valley wider, I often wonder if I can locate those places, and even the people. Some of those people who were mentioned there might yeah. still be alive, but yeah. I guess you changed the names, did you, to, to um, protect the innocent? Now, let me think. Uh, in a valley wide, yes, they are changed, yes. Uh, she changed all the names, and uh, uh, the, I think some of the younger generation... The, the middle-aged people in the book are still alive. Yeah, the, 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 there was one who died recently at the age of 101 or something, the, the landlord, I think, um, or landlady. Uh, the, the wife, um, she, she's passed away. But, yeah, some of the people are still, still around, yeah. And, in fact, one of, yeah, one of the, one of the, <laughs> one of the characters in it is now a counsellor in San Juan. But I, I, I better not say more, because <laughs> I'll draw a veil over that one. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. So what, what, what came next? Okay, and then we had... Okay, then there was a, some... Then I was approached by someone, because so far, all the books, apart from Sarah's, but she was a friend, I, uh, someone who I didn't know, because I'd had, you know, by that stage, one, two, three, four, five books, yeah, had come out, and... Someone, well, it didn't approach me. He actually approached Emily, um, Paul Davis, who did the, the non-clubbers guide. I did the non-clubbers guide with. Um, he, wanted, he wanted to, I don't know uh, what his idea was. He wanted to find a publisher, I guess. And so um, Emily said, well, you've got to get in touch with, with Martin. So, so we, he came and saw me. And he had done a book about Ibiza's history, architecture and archaeology with wonderful drawings, uh, kind of bird's eye views and all sorts of recreations, and maps as well. So um, again, I looked at it and thought, this is amazing. So he writes so well. I mean, he, like Emily, like uh, any gifted writer, he knows how to make something complex or potentially boring. He brings it to life and does so in a, in a wonderful way. So we published that book in 2000 and nine and it has a wonderful subtitle Ibiza Formentera's Heritage a non-clubbers guide so because there's a lot about clubbing in Ibiza and it's time we sang the praises of the other stuff yeah. <laughs> we were saying earlier that I was a clubber and I read that book but maybe that title draws clubbers in because they, they yeah. wonder what, what else is out there yeah exactly opposites attract I mean we all want to know once we once we touch down in Ibiza, we know there's something here apart from the clubs. <laughs> Unless you have your eyes, you know, firmly closed, you cannot help but notice there is something else about this island which draws. And so many people who, as like yourself, came here, you know, for the music and to have a good time, they they end up, you know, buying a house or something or staying for the winter and and getting drawn into this other side of Ibiza, which is as good if not better I think than the clubs because it's just you it's an endless journey that you're on 
of discovery and uh, and enjoyment and you know it's uh, Ibiza is how can you say it's like someone said it's like a continent one of the English travel writers about a hundred years ago who was here in the, in the 19, 1910 said Ibiza is like a continent although it's smaller than Menorca you know and that's true because of the variety and the, the history yeah the variety the history these hills you, you kind of carry on discovering valleys you think oh I no, no, there's this one here just around the corner and you can go back to the same place and find more stuff I mean I, I with, when I was investigating the houses I, I every time I went back to the same house I would find more stuff mm. you know and something new about it to look at or new uh, I knew the threatening floor or another well or something outside nearby which was just as interesting. There's such mm. a network of paths and tracks over the whole island to explore. Yes, yes the paths, the, those wonderful old kind of like bridleways, uh, they were sort of for, for, for walking on more than anything. I mean carts are a fairly recent uh, addition to the local and you know cartways. They only came in about a hundred years ago. Uh, so people just walked or went by, by donkey or mule everywhere. And they, ha- and they had these beautiful little paths which sort of meandered through the landscape. And uh, when you find one of those paths, there is nothing more beautiful on this, on this earth, is there? You, right. these, one, these wonderful little walls on either side and, and uh, planted fields and the beautiful trees, the carob trees, the olive trees, the fig trees. You're in heaven. <laughs> so was it those initial um, years spent walking the island that gave you your love of history, of the history of the island? Uh, well, I, I studied history at university, first of all. Right. So I've always been a fan of history. Um, when I came here, I knew nothing about Ibithenko history. Uh, so I started reading you know, books uh, about that. And um, then I read Emily's articles with enormous interest in the Ibiza now as it then was, which were a real real lifesaver. She was the only person I knew who was investigating, writing about, about local history and met her and we, we formed a close friendship. And uh, then, um, and then when, so when Paul's came up with this wonderful book, because Emily's book ended in 12 uh, with the, with the, uh, with Catalan Conquest. And Paul's book, you might say, takes it, takes the story on from then. Um, from, from then with all the churches, church buildings, the, the, the defence towers, everything like that, and as well as he has wonderful chapters on the agricultural scene, on the different, uh, the, the wells and the, um, uh, all, all these kind of complicated machinery for, for extracting water and making the, the windmills too, water, water mills. So uh, he covers m- almost every aspect of, of the local material culture and in the buildings associated with that. Can you talk a bit about your own writing? I mean, you write a lot, quite a lot about Ibethan history yourself. Yeah, well, it's a bit of an iceberg. I mean, what I've published is really the tip of the iceberg. I've written quite a lot which isn't published. I've written a book about the architecture. In fact, the first thing I did was, was write a book about Ibethan's architecture, and it's still not published. It's a scandal. <laughs> um, but I've been busy with other people's books, and hopefully one day I will do something with this book because I put a lot of work into it. I finished it in 97, 20 years ago. It's just crazy. Uh, and then after that, I, I, I've actually... Well, I've done a lot of... Yeah, I, what can I talk about? I've done quite a few articles for other, other books. Um, I did a, an article about um, 
the historical geography for an architectural book. I wrote um, quite a few articles for the Secret Walks book, which Rob Smith did, um, about, you might say, the secret history of Ibiza and looking at everything from, I don't know, like uh, bee, cultivating bees, what do you call it? Cultivating bees, what do you say? Um, beekeeping. Beekeeping, thank you. My English sometimes. <laughs> beekeeping and the, the, the sort of myths and legends of Ibiza, that was fun. I mean, Rob basically wanted, he'd done a wonderful walking book and he wanted something a little bit extra to, to differentiate you from the other guides. So he, he asked me if I'd do some, some articles on, on the other Ibiza. And I've done, I did a whole series of articles about photographs um, looking behind the, the surface, you might say, for Patcha magazine for about eight, six years, I think I did, was doing that. And I've recently, I've just finished, I think, <laughs> writing a history of Ibiza's Jews, the Jews of Ibiza, because I, my, for the talk I gave two years ago on, um, for this series of, which Maya Boyd organised, I did one on, on the, the fact and fiction behind the, the story of Jews on Ibiza. And then it's been, I've carried on investigating that, so I really want to, I'd love to publish this as a book, because it's quite... Quite an interesting theme, I think. Right. Yeah. What what um, mm. what made you look in, find that particularly interesting, stimulating? Okay. Well, I knew a woman called well, I, uh, Gloria Mound. She died uh, last year, last January, and she, Gloria came to Ibiza in in the seventies, mid seventies for a holiday, and uh, found felt that she had discovered an extraordinary story of of hidden Jews here. She had been reading about hidden Jews in Mallorca and Portugal. And there was a, some mention of Ibiza in one of the in the in the Mallorcan accounts. So she thought perhaps there was you know hidden Jews on Ibiza. She came here, and then she lived here for uh, uh, a year or two in the eighties, and then she she started this foundation in Israel dedicated to to Murano, the sort of hidden Jews of not only Europe but uh, the Americas and elsewhere, and she wasn't a trained historian. She was a wonderful, vivacious woman with lots of energy and a kind of passion for both Ibiza and for Jewish matters. But because she wasn't a trained historian, she sometimes got the wrong end of the stick, if I could put it that way. Um, we, we're all guilty, I think, all of us, of you know, wishful thinking. That when, when we get an idea into our head, we, we, we sometimes um, ignore the evidence or we create the evidence. And that's kind of what she did. Uh, she did a lot of work um, of a sort of eth, you might call ethno history. But again, you need to be a, a, an ethnographer, which is quite a you know quite a, a skill discipline. And if you don't have the the field skills, then you really might be making drawing false conclusions. So in a way, what I was trying to do was to try and sort out the the truth from the from the from the fantasy in a way. And I hope I've done justice to that because. Ibiza's native historians, the local historians here, were a little bit, should we say, put out and even angered by Gloria's um, conclusions. She said there was a synagogue or two synagogues, you know, and there was absolutely no evidence for this. So, uh, and, and she wrote this very dramatic, colourful history which has found its adherents and followers because uh, anything attractive, you know, acquires its own momentum. So I wanted to somehow, as an English person who knows Gloria's stuff and knows the other side of the coin, 
to try and put the record straight. And, and do so in a fun way, because, I mean, history should be fun, I think. Mm. When, you, when you say hidden Jews, is mm. that people uh, who are Jewish who've, because of persecution, have had to remain hidden? Exactly. I mean, that's what happened in Portugal and Mallorca. There, I mean, all over Spain and, and elsewhere in Europe, of course. Uh, the Jews have suffered terribly from pogroms and, and persecution in Spain. It happened uh, notably at the end of the 14th century and throughout the 15th century and ended with them having to, being expelled from Spain or, or having to convert in, in, in the 1490s. So um, uh, what happened in the case of Ibiza, just to try and sum that up briefly, is that uh, they, they, they did convert or they left. They went to live in the eastern Mediterranean, Italy and places. And um, uh, the ones in Mallorca carried on their customs because they were a much larger flourishing community. And uh, in the late 18th century, some of them came back to Ibiza. Okay? By then, they weren't really Jews. They were Christians, but who had inherited, they were Morant, they, who had inherited um, kind of annual and, and customs from their forefathers, which set them apart, and they, they were kept apart as a community in Palma. And uh, because the law changed in Spain, they were allowed to leave Palma, a few, a few families came to Ibiza. And those were the ones which in a way, set Gloria off on a wild goose chase, imagining they'd been here all along as secret Jews. Mm. But they hadn't. They, 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 these were about eight families who, um, who are the, the core of Ibiza's you know, old um, converso population. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your favourite places in Ibiza. Can you pick any out? Or oh, no, that's top secret. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I, if I was recommending for someone who was coming here and wanted to see something different, I would urge them to look in the north of the island, what we call the Esamunts area, which stretches from Saint Inés to Sacala. Because a lot of people come here, they don't really get outside San Antonio, Santolalia very far. Try and, you know, hire a car or bicycle or whatever, or moped, that would be ideal, and get out there and do some walking. Because that, once you can go anywhere in Ibiza, even, you know, 10 minutes from Ibiza, town. And once you put, you turn off your engine, get out your maps and start walking, you'll, di you'll discover all sorts of wonderful, wonderful treasures, I think. Um, the, with one of the walking guides, you know, that, that's, uh, that's uh, a good starting point. There are lots and lots of um, new initiatives now, walking tours and walking holidays, so put walking Ibiza on Google and see what, what pops up. I'm sure you'll find lots of very good... Uh, walks and once you do one you want to do another i find google maps really useful as well yeah yeah have you tried that for, for walking for, just for finding your way through a forest or something oh no i haven't actually i, I i'm an old-fashioned uh, person i i use paper maps yeah. and when i first came to ibiza they they were my godsend they they um i bought all the topographical maps the military ones they call them and that, that's how i i undertook my exploration of ibiza with, with the help of those i must try and get hold of those before the final book, uh, you also published some um, hotel... Yes. ...as a calendar, hotel yes. pictures. Actually, that was beautiful. like a mini-book I wrote about the early tourism on Ibiza because um, I, I've been collecting luggage labels over the years and I put together 12 of them old from the 1950s, early 60s. I made a, made a calendar with my, my printer, uh, Graficus Pitiusas, and there's... Uh, for each uh, for each month, there is the, the the luggage label of the hotel, and then on the back, 
is a little text describing the history of, of that, how that hotel came to being. And the stories are, are pretty amazing, actually, each hotel. I do, have, you, have you seen that yes, book? Yes, I have, yeah. I mean, I love the story of the Jewish brothers, seven siblings who founded this hotel. They survived the war, both the Civil War and the, uh, the Second World War, here in Ibiza, you know, safe and sound. And um, uh, although they were nearly extradited, they, they, they actually changed their, their religion. They became Christians with the help of some, uh, some, well, some people from Dalvila, some kind of uh, very respectable families in Ibiza. So they were sort of, you might say, shielded by them, by their association. And then um, started up this hotel on San Antonio. Yeah, the, the Ibiza Playa, I think it was called. Yeah. Do any of these hotel buildings still exist? No, that, well, that, that one doesn't, but many of the others still do. They have the Montesol, the story of the Montesol. That's just had a wonderful refurbishment. Although it places it outside most of, most of our reach for <laughs> staying a night. Um, and yeah, I think about at least half of them are still going. Yes, probably a bit expanded in, in many cases. Yeah, a couple were left out because they're only 12 months in the year. So I sometimes think I would like to turn that into a book as well and put, yeah. put them all in because uh, there are a couple of more stories which, which haven't been told. That's, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. And then the final book, um, your most recent, is that right, Pepita? Yes, yes. This is a beautiful book. My daughter loves it. Oh, good. Um, so uh, everyone, every, all the people who have it seem to like it. Yeah. Yeah, funnily enough, because... Uh, it's just a warm, very warm, lovely children's story of yeah. uh, uh, life in Ibiza. But I never thought I'd be involved with a children's book, because I thought that's so difficult, you know, to get a children's book right. Um, uh, I know publishers beware of children and dogs or whatever. <laughs> no, dogs you can sell lots of copies. That's a safe bet. But so it's a very competitive field, children's books. And uh, the reason I published it was, again, I fell in love with the project. Uh, the, the author, Maria, or Gerda, Maria Janssen, she's a Dutch uh, artist and, and writer, had done these, this extraordinary uh, mock-up of, of, uh, of, of, for the book with a lovely story about a little dog that gets lost and has adventures along the way. A bit like The Incredible Journey, if you know that book, you know. Um, and her paintings are just delightful, aren't they? Yeah, so that was that was a fun project, I must say. Is that one still in print? Yes, yes, we still have copies of that. Yeah, yeah, and we, we, we. It was a long journey because none of us had, had actually written a children's book before, and so we had to learn how to make the language both accessible and kind of with a kind of spark of fun. There's a sparkles. I read. I was reading a lot around it, and someone said it should sparkle, and I thought, oh, we must try and make it sparkle. It makes you smile when you're reading it. Yeah. Oh, good. That's nice. It's a delightful character, the dog, and and all and the hippie that's there as well, with her with her writing project. <laughs> She's like a friend of mine, actually. The 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 one in the book. She looks exactly like a friend who is a writer. So. <laughs> um, have you got any other plans for 2018? You can tell us about. Ooh. Well, I'd like to do an anthology, but I can't tell you more. Um, there was a couple of anthologies uh, I've I've been working on for ages. So if one of those happens, I'd be very happy because I've found some very special texts, and I think um, I think this I think yeah this, this side again that that will be a side of Ibiza which hasn't been explored very much, and uh, I've got a, I've got I've got the cover for it and everything ready so. 
and yeah there's always projects bubbling up there's another pro uh, another book which is more visual which I'd love to to move further forward I've got a lot of the material gathered but we'll have to see um, yeah oh, well, we look yeah. forward to that yes um, and just finally are there would you like to highlight any of the other sort of cultural activities on the island that you're involved with at the moment that you think are particularly enjoyable or worthwhile Goodness me, I'm, I'm such a hermit, you know, I've no idea what's going on. I mean, Ibiza, there's a lot going on all the time. Music, by that I mean live music. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, theatre groups here. There's, you know, reading clubs and things like that. There's always these book presentations every week. There seems to be a book presentation. I don't think there's any place on the planet with as many books. Unfortunately, they're mostly in Catalan, so that's a slight, a slight disadvantage. But um, there is a lot of stuff going on here all the time. Uh, the archaeological scene as well is quite exciting. I think if any of your listeners want to get involved in local culture and they have a, a smattering of Spanish, you don't. You know, I, I would get in touch with the um, the archaeological museum on Via Romana because that's had uh, a facelift a few years ago. They do all these wonderful talks about the history and archaeology of Ibiza. Sometimes someone someone actually does it in English. I went to a couple in English. Uh, last year, of they had a wonderful um, archaeologist from Lebanon explaining his latest finds in the in the uh, Phoenician scene. It was fascinating stuff. Um, then and they do very good publications as well, and and there's great stuff in the museum to, to see. Also, check out the um, Museo Puget in Dalvila, which has lovely paintings and it's a fantastic building. So, so check out the local museums. The, the Contemporary Art Museum is a beautiful building and they have lots of things going on. Sometimes they have these coffee mornings. Uh, so if you're on their, on their list, I'm not sure if I am. <laughs> I was, but I think I fell off it. Uh, perhaps I had too many cakes. <laughs> but they have these very nice coffee mornings and things. And Elena Ruiz, the director, she's a very go-ahead... Oh, I'll tell you what to look forward to this year. Apparently, this, this museum, the Museum of Contemporary Art is having an exhibition of the ceramics of, um, what's he called now? He did The Hair with Amber Eyes, this extraordinary book about um, a Jewish family in Central Europe and, and Paris. And his name is... Oh, I've, I'll have to just quickly look this one up. Okay. Because he's, uh, he's a wonderful artist and um, it's going to be a major... Edmund Deval, right, W A A L, and this is one of the biggest artists in England at the moment. I think he's won prizes and international prizes. Uh, he's also a, a very, a very special writer because his hair, his book is extraordinary, and he's going to be in Ibiza because oh. Elena's daughter works with him. So we're very lucky to have this connection. So look out for that. That'll be a special one. Mm. Great. Mm. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Martin. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been. I always enjoy chatting with you. <laughs> Thanks very much. Pues ven, cuánta pena.
wonderful piece of music was recorded in the 1950s in San Miguel in Ibiza. It's called Bon Amor Jo et Venk Aber, which translates roughly as Good Love, I'll Come See You. The music comes from the Alan Lomax collection at the American Folklife Centre, Library of Congress, used courtesy of the Association for Cultural Equity. Bucket, bucket, deeper can no up.